You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show recording live here in the jewel of the Diamantina, Batuta, Outback Queensland. You've got myself, as usual, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate. I'm joined by the eternal cadet, Wendell Hussey. Today, this is basically a local act uh, Mm. we're interviewing because as the crow flies, Adelaide is our closest capital city. That's how far west we are here in channel country of Queensland. Uh, A lot of people consider Adelaide the big smoke. We kind of have that broken hill Broken Hill kind of energy out here. Not a lot of people know that, do they? No, no. We, we, we haven't gone... Sydney, but it's Adelaide for us. We aren't as depraved as uh, Broken Hill by going on Adelaide time, but um, we consider ourselves kindred spirits. And today, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, and I've done it a few times, and they've, you know, disappointed. I guess uh, Scotty Cam called me a fuckwit when I ran into him. Into the Storybridge Hotel there. He didn't like it. I tried to get a selfie in the urinal. Apparently, that's a no-no. Anyway, these guys, uh, I feel like, you know, they've been in the game long enough to understand that some fans are probably a bit intense. And as Joyride said to us, sometimes it's like a puppy, your puppy bringing you a dead pigeon. You want to say thanks, but we don't need that. So we'll try our best to not be that puppy today as we interview for the first time ever on the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, the Hilltop Hoods. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us, guys. Now, you guys are obviously big shots because you're all in the same city but Zooming in from separate houses. <laughs> we just can't stand each other's company. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I see uh, you've got also that serious gaming chair going on there, uh, Presh. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> well spotted. You get on Twitch out there yelling at teenagers? Uh- Nah, I'm, I'm too old for Twitch, bro. <laughs> well, you're certainly not too old, you guys. Like, things have not stopped. I would say you're probably looking at, with these new songs and new work you've done, you're looking at the exact same kind of timelines and schedules and calendars that you would have had as, uh, you know, early 20s stalwarts of the Adelaide hip-hop scene. You guys are moving and gigging like anyone. In fact, does it feel like you're ramping up? No. <laughs> By Friday, yeah, and not on a Monday. I'm ramping down on a Monday. I think it's the same, except with kids. That's yeah, the right. difference now. And yeah. so you're twice as tired all the time. Yeah. And the kids with you? <laughs> we certainly haven't slowed down. <laughs> Just used to being sleep deprived all the time now. <laughs> Yeah, the, well, yeah, that's the thing about going from touring to parenthood. You train for it. I want to hark back because as you, we would all know, and you guys, uh, you know, you can take a lot of credit for this, seeing Australian music, Australian hip-hop kind of be able to spread its wings and tangent off in all these different kind of scenes that we're seeing now. I want to kind of talk about it. You know, I, I'm looking at there's something going on. There's an actual wave in Ipswich right now. You know what I mean? A specific thing happening in Ipswich, all the Sudanese lads out there. Uh, we all know what's happening in Western Sydney. We all know what's happening all over the place. Melbourne's got their own thing going on. You guys hit the ground running when that wasn't as evident. I mean, social media, there probably were these scenes, but not everyone knew unless you were in those monocultures. What was it like on the front line of kind of taking this stuff on stage 
to mainstream audiences? Well, before it went to mainstream audiences, it was just a lot of rooms full of men. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just room after room of men, and um, lucky men. Yeah. And the shift came when there were also women. Yep. It was a very different thing, but you can see the sort of same energy that was like around 20 years ago around obese records and stuff like that. You can see the same energy coming out of Western Sydney because they seem to have like a real community and overlap and, you know, sort of a common trajectory sort of thing. It's really interesting to watch. It's really fun to watch. They made such better videos. <laughs> Technology these days, quite incredible. You, these flares. guys are spewing. They didn't yeah, have the flares yeah, and the valleys yeah. on. The dirt bikes. <laughs> what did the community look like 25, 30 years ago? I mean, aside from, aside from all the men, the one thing that would come to mind when you think about, you know, the front line, you guys are out there forging this scene with a lot of other people. And I know you guys acknowledge that. All we can really remember is a lot of publicans who are really pissed off that their bathrooms got coated in graffiti. At one point, Adelaide Hip Hop had there were no heritage like listed hotels that will allow rap music in their, <laughs> in their venue, so that was actually a problem. Problem. There was, a, there was a stage where they put the price of beer up for every tag in the toilet. Twenty bucks a scanner. Yeah. Tagging the toilet's the fifth element of hip-hop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is one thing I want to talk about. It seems like, and I know this isn't unique to Australia, but there was a crossover with graffiti and hip-hop in Australia. Were you guys out there putting up panels? Was that kind of where you guys spiralled out of? Were you, you know, checking out the cameras? I tried once and it looked like a five-year-old dropped their crayons on the, on the carriage and I sort of stopped and stuck to rapping. Not that I was very good at that either back then, but I was better at it. At least. Yeah. As, as graffiti artists, we made very good rappers and we weren't very good rappers, so that tells you how bad we were at graffiti. <laughs> when you look, at, um, you look at some of your early stuff, there's a feeling with the Hilltop Hoods that you guys actually had decided amongst yourselves that, we get to dictate where this whole thing goes. And I, I look back at songs on your earlier albums like The Sentinel, where you've done like this storytelling where it was almost like a short film that we were, we were listening to. So not only are a lot of people discovering Australian hip-hop, we're also discovering these guys that are doing whatever the fuck they want with it. Was there a feeling of that? Was there a feeling of we can do anything we want? There was no kind of template for you guys? Yeah, there, there was a bit of a template. I mean, there were the guys that went before us, like Deathwish Cast and locally sort of Cruise Life Finger looking good and that. But, I mean, we were just doing it for fun, so there was no template. And if there was, we were kind of unaware of it because we were kids when we started. Yeah, when you look back, it, there, there wasn't a career in music. Yeah. So, like, yeah. like it makes sense now, but back then the, it wasn't a thing, so you weren't worried about anything really because it wasn't a thing. Yeah. When did that realization start happening for you? Yeah. Guys? When did the like, penny when drop? When was it like, oh, actually, this could be a thing? Yeah. Maybe. When they started playing us on radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a rich, what a rich tapestry you're painting there, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to talk about when you guys said we're in on this. This isn't just a weekly piss up. This is what we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. When did you feel that? Yeah, there was definitely a moment when nosebleed came in at. It was seven or eight on in the highest 100 and Splendor in the Grass asked us to play, I think, fairly late time slot. We got up in front of the first fest, our first big festival crowd ever and, and had a good time with it. And we were like, oh, yeah, 
Maybe we could keep doing this for a bit longer. <laughs> I saw a photo of that the other day. Our jeans are so big. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, the boot cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Why are like, are we going camping in your pants? <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing I was in tackies. I'm still wearing the same pants. <laughs> we talk about this. We interviewed James Rain, and he, I mean, he's not from, he's not from the same part of the world you guys are from, but he always points to Adelaide for their scene. They always point to it, particularly with pub rock. They're kind of looking at all of these ten-pound poms that came out of Elizabeth. And um... <laughs> look at this local knowledge. This yeah. Is yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, of course you've got the Barossa Deutsch Germans and uh, <laughs> and all the serial killers. But like the thing that we talk about is Adelaide. For whatever reason, it's an engine room. Can you explain that? Is it the fucking churches? Did they all give you a guitar as 10-year-olds? I don't know. What is happening in Adelaide? Because I tell you what, mate, you're two Newcastles on top of each other. That's what it is. <laughs> we got Chisel, yeah. I yeah. mean, like... Farnsey? You know, Farnsey? Chisel? Farnsey? Barnsey? Yeah. Guy Sebastian? Yeah. Just pumping them out. No, no, that's what I do want to ask. Is there a feeling of, of a scene in Adelaide, regardless of what genre of music it is? Because... Is it the fringe thing? What What's happening there? Because we look at some of our biggest acts have all, in some way, got some sort of link to down there. I mean, even NXS did their time down there. To be serious for one second, Adelaide has always had a really good history of nurturing the arts to come up through it. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky enough to be on the end of some um, grants in our early days as well. Oh, really? They helped us out because we were too broke to print and press on our records back when you used to make physical vinyl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we still do. <laughs> I want to ask about those days in the in the record labels where everyone's working together because you know someone's come through. Were you all on the line there? Were you all packing merch as well for you know each other? Were you guys? Is that how it worked? Was it really kind of tide rising together within the scene? Yeah, man. You go to a local hip hop show, people be trying to sell you their mixtapes and their merch, and we're busy putting stickers on the front of our own vinyls and printing like cassette covers on our, on our parents like two three color printers like old school shit um but for sure yeah and does it now feel like you have a much more refined how would you say streamlined operation i want to talk about making this new music that you're kind of going to be touring around the country what is different like i know i know you can answer that in probably one (laughs) sentence but what is different do you all have a place you link up do you all have a format a template that you work to now when you want to make new music as opposed to drinking like eight long necks of Cooper's Draft and smoking 10 pounds. <laughs> How do you keep the magic alive? <laughs> if you mention Farmer's Union iced coffee, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. saying you've got, a, you've got a researcher on the team. Farmer's Union, you probably know this stat, but Farmer's Union iced coffee is a bizarre anomaly in Australian uh, beverages. I drink two litres every day. Well, there's two... <laughs> well, you're, you're contributing to these stats, mate. There's two places in the world where Coca-Cola isn't the number one non-alcoholic beverage. One of them is Scotland, where they have their iron brew, and the other one is South Australia, Adelaide, where it is Farmers Union iced coffee is your number one. Wow. Which is pretty hectic because I can't imagine drinking two litres of that on a work site, but they seem to do it. It would would have the same amount of sugar as Coca-Cola too, I'd imagine. It's got more. more. It's got more. And they're actually, those um, bottles they do, it's kind of similar shape to an Orchie. So if you are making music as a like burgeoning, emerging Australian hip-hop artist, you can kind of cut off a bit of hose and rip a few rompers through it. And then (laughs) that's where the magic starts. And is it different? That's what I want to ask. Is it different nowadays? And how is it different when you guys make music? 
Me and P actually did that once with a Palmer's Union Rice coffee bottle, remember, P? And we realised after about yeah. five minutes that we'd been smoking plastic for... <laughs> it had burned right through or just cooking plastic. In our, defense, a- in our defense, we were hiding under my parents' balcony in the dark. And we were like, it's not ever. And then we came up into the lab, we're like, yeah, we've been smoking plastic for the last half hour. <laughs> I guess the main thing is, like, we don't do it in the same room, really. Yep. Like, we just finished our new single, by the way, which name checks uh, Batuta. Oh, um, damn. Because um, <laughs> I wrote it in there, and, like, a day later, our, our publicist was like, Batuta, want to do an interview? And I'm like, no. Really? Hang on, I'm trying to find the bit. Where is it? Best think of tuna fish. Hoping I make the news of the Batuta with the lunatics. Only came for- damn. There we are. That's more for our legacy than the Wikipedia or whatever, you know? <laughs> we've, uh, we've launched a New York Times article. Mate, no we thanks. got the Prime Minister of Australia to launch one of our books in Parliament House. and that, <laughs> Obviously, as you know, that's such a hollow fucking moment and milestone for us. The real deal is getting name-checked in a fucking hood song. <laughs> Does it feel like that? I mean, we're not talking politics here, but do you feel like there is a push coming out of the pandemic to get everything back open? Do you feel that? Or do you think everyone's still dragging the chain with shows and and just the kind of culture that, that you guys live off and, and a lot of people do in this country? I mean, within the music industry circles, absolutely, there's a big push. Yeah. Obviously, for obvious reasons. But, yeah, I think most people want to go back to whatever the new normal looks like as soon as possible. Yeah. Are you guys rusty? Are you going to be puffing on stage? Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, I did get pretty fat during the first year of the pandemic. I was spent the next year working it off, so <laughs> hopefully that, not. Is that because of all the information you were taking in on YouTube? Man, literally our um, first rehearsal was pretty grim, wasn't it, Pete? Well... I had to throw you under the bus, Matt, but you were looking your lyrics up on... Um... I was looking on Rap Genius because I was looking at Hoods Up Woods. I was trying to listen to Hoods Up Woods in my spare time. <laughs> you yeah, it's not like I'm hanging out of the house listening to myself. Looking up Hilltop Hoods on Rap Genius trying to figure out what those lyrics mean again. <laughs> and also also sitting there going, is is that right? Did I write that? Because they get it wrong often. And it might end up this this thing where I just read off there and then it becomes real, I guess. Our live shows forever changed because of the <laughs> I mean, you guys have the power to do that where you can actually just change change the meaning of stuff. Nosebleed sections is a good example of that. For anyone, you know, in this country under the age of 50 now thinks that the nosebleed section is the mosh pit. Um, <laughs> from the first five words of that song, for my people in the front in the nosebleed section, you kind of mm. rapidly change the course of the English language forever. But... I want to talk about the fact that you guys are the first, and Briggs has said this to us, so we're not gassing you up. He said it when, when talking about the industry and the scene. You guys are basically the first, well, you are the first to do stadiums. And with that, you kind of have a fan base that you played such a big part of, a uh, big role in their lives. How does that feel when you meet those guys? Because I know you look at people like, uh, I mean, comedians, for example, uh, that we've interviewed over the years, who people come up to them and just, you know, it's a very tricky conversation. Paul Kelly would get this a lot. Every single bloke or 
you know, woman who bails up Paul Kelly's kind of basically wants to say, oh, yeah, by the way, that song you sang is exactly my life. How do you deal with that kind of, uh, not so much fandom, but, uh, you know, that influence you've had on people or that serious kind of cog you've played in their life and their, you know, personal development? Or is it all love? You just got to go, hey, mate, here's a selfie. Woo, we're out. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just, you know what? It's just best not to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, look, we're lucky that we've got, like, most of our fans, are pretty when you meet them on the street are pretty nice people we're lucky mm. in that regard every now and then but like over the years we've tried to curate uh, an audience yep basically that isn't fuckwits yep, <laughs> yep. And, and and isn't all men doing graffiti yeah and, is, and isn't all men that's very important even though, with your eyes. Um, social media stats would say otherwise but, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I sometimes get people. I sometimes get people to come up and be like, you know, I've been listening to music for a long time, and I pass it on to my children, and I'm like, shit, I'm really sorry about that, and I start interrupting <laughs> them. Do you have any random pockets of fans, like? Say Germany or places like that, where yeah, like we, we exactly Germany. Germany, 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 yeah. shit, right? Yeah. Because uh, Silverchair really struggled to explain the Brazil thing, you know? The Silverchair was Brazil. They think it came really? down to some sort of uh, distribution deal that Australia had in the 90s that let, sent a lot of CDs and promotion that way. But, you know, people have their fans around the world. Some artists pop in Spain. Do you reckon Germany is your spot? Is that your biggest numbers overseas? Yeah. Yeah. Sprechen's <laughs> a <Dutch. laughs> Yeah, I mean, Britain as well, but probably Germany a little bit over Britain. It's because they can yeah. see the Barossa influence. I think that's what it is. A lot of Germans around here. A lot of Germans. Handorf. A lot of Germans. There is a lot of Germans. And do they sing I've... the lyrics back to you in English? Like, do they get it? What the fuck's going on, man? They speak German <laughs> in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is better than a Hildebrand chant with a German accent. <laughs> once, once again, I've got to just compliment you on the research on this program. They speak German. Yeah. German. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> we got fact checkers on this. No, you know what it is? I, I've spoken about it before. Where I think it's like, you know, when, when we go to Western countries, Canada or US, a lot of people aren't bothered by the accent, but yep. some of them just can't get past it. Yep. And when, you, when we go to Europe and play in like Switzerland or Germany and that where English is their second language, they're less bothered, they're less affected by it because yep. it's just English yeah. rather mm. than English with an accent mm. or whatever. But it is funny. I was saying to someone the other day when we were in New Zealand, depending on where you go, the hilltop chant before the show in like in Germany, it's hilltop, hilltop. In, in like New Zealand, it's hilltop, hilltop. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> like everywhere, it's got like the accent, which is fun. Yeah. It's really fun. And speaking of accents, it's so South Australian for you guys to say chant. How do they chant in France? <laughs> you say bravo or bravo? <laughs> You've just done Hobart. You guys are touring the country. Is there any is there any plans to do it all again? Do the whole entire world? Go every single place in the world with children in tow? I don't know about taking the kids. They've got to get an education. <laughs> <laughs> the Von Traps. And I 
I mean, we all went to school with a kid that's like, I spent two years in Malaysia and they've had a great life experience, but they can't read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they have a strange <laughs> accent. Yeah, yeah. Watching too much TV. Yeah, they've got like a yeah, they've got a Ronnie Chang accent. I noticed there's a week in between kind of each show on the tour up here. Is that that's just allowing for a pop back home, do everything, and then just fly out on a Saturday night? I'd like to take it easy when we're on tour, you know what I mean? Just. So we take our time and enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> See bit, all the sights again. Bit different to when you do ten nights back to back at the Gov, but uh <laughs> more local knowledge. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, we did a gig at the Gov. They bumped us from the entertainment center for our live show. They were like, Man, block parties in town, you're not selling out anything bigger than the Gov. Get in there. And we're like, oh, Okay. Wow. Gov's a great venue though. Yeah, it was great. We got pissed as hell in the green room. And it actually it was coated in um Hilltop Hoods paraphernalia out the back. So for some reason, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all your yeah. all your graffiti. So we got uh, <laughs> Brisbane Entertainment Centre. Fuck, these are Kanye venues, man. We've got obviously. Uh, how do you say that word? Kudos. Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney. Rod Laver Arena. Damn, I thought you'd be playing Margaret Court. <laughs> uh, and RAC in Perth. And then of course, finishing strong, twenty fourth of September here, Adelaide Entertainment Centre. Do you feel that when you come back home? Is the love like kind of a little bit more frantic at home? Is it a little bit more real? Yeah, it is a bit. It's nice to be ending at home as well. Yeah. To all of that. Rundle straight afterwards or what's the... Oh, <laughs> oh man. Crazy horse? Have, what? Have, you... <laughs> Have you got Ken Cunningham behind the camera just like just with flashcards? Just with things on Just getting written up. Like Buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think the Adelaide show is not going to go too well because everyone's going to be pretty unhappy when they find out that it's on grand final day. Ooh. Damn. Oh. No, they're going, to, well, they're going to be pretty sloppy, man. That's yeah. going to be... Yeah, they have just announced that that's going to be a daytime grand final, though, so it won't clash with the yeah. time of the yeah. show. That would just be... The Crows, the Crows will have just won. They'll have won their first grand final for a, a long time, and then um, they'll be into Hilltop straight after that. So it'll be happy days. It could be the loosest gig you ever ever play. <laughs> I think it's going to be. <laughs> we probably should wrap this up. We've made thirty-five minutes of local Adelaide references. We've gotten to learn the early origin stories of the Hilltop Hoods. And uh, they saved a lot for the book. I'm glad for that because we will all be reading the book too when it comes out. But there's another chapter that's taking place this month. As we just mentioned, they're going to every major city, including Perth, which is really generous. (laughs) (laughs) We will be making the trip to Brisbane or Sydney to see them. So thank you for joining us today. The Hoods, uh, Pioneers, Stalwarts, and currently Ball Runners in a scene that's only exploding. Thanks for having us, guys. Frog cakes. You didn't mention frog, frog cakes. cakes. There you go. Yeah. That, that was my wedding cake. <laughs> 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 Thanks for joining us, lads. <laughs>